Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. All right, good morning, Palmer. Boy, you know, um, God has gifted this congregation with a spirit of worship. And um, I, I feel privileged to be here sharing the word and, and wrapping up Deuteronomy. Um, so we are... <clears throat> oh, there's some good? Okay. Um, we're wrapping up the series, and, and if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to chapter 30. That's where we're going to kind of be parked this morning. I'll give us a quick recap. Uh, we've, been, we've been dealing with the, the book of Numbers and, and basically the journey of Israel as they... As they left Egypt, they went, and God's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. I'm going to bring you here. They go to Mount Sinai, and then they spend 40 years wandering because they, they just can't quite devote their entire hearts to the Lord is really what happens. And so um, they they're come to the plains of Moab, and they're sitting there, and they face a major moral failing as they begin to take on the, the Moabite culture. And God's like, no, no, I'm jealous for my people. And I don't want you guys living in the destructive patterns and the destructive ways of the Moabites. So uh, we see there's a, there's a level of discipline, a level of repentance, and then, and then God's like, okay, hey, now I'm ready for this generation to enter the promised land. And so right before they're getting ready to enter the promised land, Moses gives this series of sermons to the people. And Moses is going to pass away at the end of the book, and Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. And from the time this book ends, Deuteronomy ends, till the time that, that Joshua is literally crossing the river with, uh, with the Israel, um, it, it's only about 70 days. So I know Pastor Chris is starting uh, Joshua next week. And so you can figure 10 days per day is what we got to think about as Israel was beginning their, their excitement and their journey to finally enter into the promised land. But there's some things that happened during this 40 years, there are seven key factors, really, that Moses feels like he needs to address in the book of Deuteronomy because so much has changed, so much, new, so much is new for Israel. And one is that there had been a new generation that had arisen since they left Egypt. A new land filled with religious corruption stood before them, things that they couldn't even imagine seeing. New spiritual and physical dangers stood before them. Newness of setting up home in a homeland, fulfilled promises. A new challenge both militarily and, and economically would face them, and God's instructing them, saying, hey, I am still your God. I'm not leaving you because you're entering something new. I'm still going to be your God. A new transition from the only generation that has known this, this nomadic lifestyle the second generation of, of Israelites, the first didn't get opportunity to enter in because of disobedience and hardness of heart. So this generation, born in the desert, is now saying, we're going to inherit this. And now they're going to be an, an agricultural people. They're going to have a place with new responsibilities. And then, as we will see next week, that a new leader was about to emerge. The book of Deuteronomy really focuses on summarizing the law in terms of Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Despite the book of, of Deuteronomy being known as the second law, the, the law is meant to give us uh, uh, this, uh, this view of opposition towards legalism, 
and view of an invitation towards being people of God. Does that make sense? And we need to understand this as we read in there today that, that what God is after is not a begrudging submission of his people, but a willing desire to be his people, to let him be their God. In fact, in Mark 20, despite the law being given and, and the Jews knowing and Israel knowing the law, Jesus, when asked by a scribe about the greatest commandment, says this. Of all the laws that Jesus could have been like, well, let's see which one. This is what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. <clears throat> and then he says the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's out of uh, Leviticus 19. Jesus says there's no other commandment greater than these. So let us remember that today as we read through what Moses is, is reminding Israel of as they get ready to enter the land of milk and honey. And when all said and done, the law of love must prevail. God alone, being the author of love, has defined what love is. And with that comes loving commands. Like us parents who would lovingly tell our children or grandchildren not to stick knives in, in outlets. Who would say, look before you cross the street. Not because I want to impose rules on you, because I love you and I have blessing waiting tonight when we sit down and have dinner together. And if you don't look before you cross the street, you're going to get hit. Or don't be on your cell phone while you're driving. Why are you always putting rules on me? It's not, the, it's not this idea that we're, we're trying to oppress, it's that we're trying to liberate. We're trying to instill blessing. And this is the whole heart of God in all the law and all the, 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 the situations that he brings Israel into. What they fail to realize, though, is to believe that God is for them. And they question constantly, even so much so that they would say, I would rather just go back to Egypt than to follow this. And so God's whole heart is his, this constant pursuit of his people out of love. So it's important to remember and understand that as we read the text today. All right, so let's dig in. Deuteronomy 30, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. The commandment that I have commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Is it not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Moses says, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. It's interesting. He says in verse 11, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too hard. And we think about following God. Isn't it often met with this sense of difficulty? Like, man, am I doing this good enough, God? Am I, am I actually going to be able to accomplish this? Or do I just kind of have to hope that one day I might make it to eternity with you? And if, if Moses is telling them to follow the law, to listen to the commands of God, to be led by him as they enter this land that's going to destroy them if they're not careful. It's going to bring on all new challenges that they know nothing about. And God's like, I'm not leaving you at the Jordan. I'm crossing that with you. But I need you to understand that I'm for you and not against you. So he said the covenant with, which God made with Israel, this old covenant, it, it wasn't too hard. It just required devotion. And what is the old covenant? Well, it's summed up in Deuteronomy 29, 13. It's that they, he may establish them as his people 
and that he may be their God as he promised them to, and they swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What we see here is that it was actually possible for Israel to obey and keep this covenant. Now, he wasn't expecting perfection, but he required devotion. So how were they to keep it? Well, we're told right here in chapter 30 as well, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. God's saying, hey, I am going to set you apart for this. I am doing the work. I just need you to follow. I'm going to give you hearts that are, that are circumcised, that are set apart from all the pagan nations, all the, all the evil in the world, and I'm going to give you the ability to be my people and me to be your God so I can pour out abundant blessing on you. But Israel so oftentimes just wanted things done their own way. They wanted the blessing with the independence. And isn't that true of us so often today? Verses 12 and 13 said, is it not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may do it. In other words, Moses is saying like, look, Israel, I know that you guys are wondering because I've already had to go up on the mountain and get things for you guys. You guys are too fearful. And now he's like, I'm going to just remove that excuse from you before you can even make it. It is here. The ability to do that, the ability to keep the covenant is here right now. We don't need to go wait for anything. We don't need to go send in search of things. It is right here in the covenant already established with you. There's no need to travel to heaven to bring Christ to earth. God has already sent him into the world for us. Now, it's interesting Paul quotes Deuteronomy, and, and, and Paul does something in, interesting with this phrase in Romans 10. He says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the word of the faith that we proclaim. It's here, we know it, it's written on our hearts. It's written on our hearts already. We don't need to seek new revelation of, of what God requires of us in order to be called his children. He's given us that in Christ. He sent Christ down to be the exegesis of, of the Father. Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here. I'm here with you. I'll lay my life down for you. I will give you every bit of, of how my Father said that he loves his people. I'm going to show you how much he loves his people. So we don't need to wonder where God is. Like we, like we talked about, God is not far off up in the sky. He's here with us now. That's good news for us. I mean, if you are in here today, you feel far from God. God is not far from you. God is not far from you. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the glory, uh, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Revelation 19, when he 
when he returns, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The Word is in our hearts. The Word is near. So we know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. He's not a created son of God. He is God, meaning that Jesus was present. The son was present when Moses was giving this this instruction to his people. And he knew what all that was pointed to. But it wasn't just the law that was given to the Israel. Do you guys remember? It, It also required sacrifice and choice. And Israel had to make sacrifices for when they were they were incapable. Of, of keeping the law perfectly, God says, I know you're not going to keep it perfectly, and I'm going to give you a way to make a sacrifice. Jesus was present, saying, I'm going to be that sacrifice for all time. I'm going to be the sacrifice for my people so that they can be called children of God, that God can be theirs and they can be ours. <clears throat> Paul's point is that salvation is readily available in Christ. We don't have to go seeking Christ in the distance. God has made him publicly available for all. It's not far off. Both the divine promises and the human responses of this covenant are actually bought by Christ's blood for us. So it's not like we look at this and say, man, what do I have to do? There's nothing but a hallelujah. There's nothing we can do. The beauty in this is that we we can celebrate our own funerals. We can celebrate our own death because it's in Christ that we have our life. And the only way to find that life is to die to our independence. It's to die to our own ways of doing things. Verse 14, he says, but the word is very near you, Moses, speaking to the people, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. They have the writings and the teachings of Moses and and in their mouths they may do it. You know, when we have those conversations where where Jesus is forever on our lips and we're we're encouraged, we're speaking the things of the Lord, we are are singing praises and his word is on our lips and we're interacting with it and we're speaking to one another. Are those not the sweetest times in life? They encourage us, they, they ignite a fire within us To say, you know what, we're facing a lot of unknowns, but I'm going to keep walking forward. I'm going to keep moving in devotion to the Lord. And the word is with us, and and instruction is available to us. It's nearest through scripture, it's nearest through the Holy Spirit, it's nearest through the interaction of God's church. In fact, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Friends, this is phenomenal stuff here. I mean, we have God saying, I am going to the things that your mind can barely grasp, but your heart has a hard time understanding, I'm going to open up the eyes of your heart. I'm going to open up the eyes of your heart that you understand the mysteries, the depths of what I would call you to. And that is a working by God alone. We can talk to each other till we're blue in the face, but until the Spirit of God comes in and says, I'm going to blow your heart wide open. Feedy, can I get an amen? (laughs) And I am going to blow your heart wide open. 
and I'm going to show you things about myself that is going to help you understand more and more how much I'm for you and not against you. I just want you. And it's hard to understand that sometimes. But here's the thing. He won't force us. Just like he didn't force Israel. Like Israel, we deal with the consequences when we choose to walk independently from him. This brings us to the choice. Deuteronomy 30, picking up in, in verse 15, says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession. But if your heart turns away, if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. And there are things in our lives that we might be wondering, why does death seem to follow me in all of these things? Maybe not physical death. Maybe it's relational death. Maybe it's, it's, it's um, uh, emotional death. Maybe, maybe it is physical death. Maybe it's death of dreams and, and, and hopes and, and, and uh, faith. And we're looking and we're saying, why is, why is my life surrounded in this? When Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm offering you this goodness. I'm offering you this life. Maybe it's because we're not really ready to make the choice to surrender our lives to him to find that life. Because as Israel, Jesus was willing, God was willing to lead them, provide for them, guide them. He would have taken the first generation into the promised land. But they refused to do what was needed. It was up to Israel and based on their allegiance. It's essential for us to understand that we in Christ do not relate to God on terms of the old covenant, but on the terms of a better covenant. So here's, here's what's crazy. We read these stories about Israel and we say, oh man, <clears throat> all right, uh, that would be really difficult to do, but man, they kept failing. We would have done things differently. God's not even holding us to those standards. That Christ comes and he says, I've done it for you. Now I'm just asking you to believe. To let your heart be, be in tune with me. Jesus created a better covenant for us. And under the new covenant, my relationship with God is not based on what I do for God, but what Jesus has done on my behalf. Here's the reality, friends. I think that we, we have to overcomplicate it in order to make sense of it. It's not complicated. Jesus says, I have done everything for you. It is that simple to believe. And out of that belief comes a life of obedience. But Jesus is saying, don't overcomplicate it. Jesus was not a complicated man. He called in simplicity. And if the old covenant is inferior to the new covenant, and if there was a high price to pay for rejecting the old covenant, should we not know that there's even a greater penalty for rejecting an even greater covenant? Hebrews 10 tells us of this, verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
But how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? That's interesting to think about, that we have access to a beautifully uh, designed covenant that Jesus did all the work. And if we reject that, we are trampling under our feet the work of Christ. And Jesus isn't asking us to do, he's asking us to be. And there needs to be a very clear distinction in that. And so in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 30, we have a choice to choose life. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Friends, choose life. Choose life. That's what he's saying. I've called heaven and earth to witness against you in these solemn words of Moses. He sets the choice and he's like, this is not the first time God is begging you and pleading with you to choose life. He delivered you from Egypt. He could have left you to die, but he provided food for you. He provided direction, and he continued to pour out mercy when he should have destroyed you. God is for your life. So choose that life. Choose life. At the same time, though, the choice belonged to Israel. But God does care for what we choose. Moses cried out, Friends, choose life. Because, you know, Moses was about to die without entering the promised land. And Moses had a remarkable life. I don't want us to, to think less of him in any capacity. That man did phenomenal things in his life. And he's at the end of his life, and he's about to die. Seventy days later, Joshua takes him across the river. And Moses is about to die. And, he, and I can imagine Moses just saying, I have made some bad choices. I have lost faith. In the Lord, I've regained it. I have, I have uh, uh, sinned. I have, I have done some, some incredible things. I've freed people, he says, but, but choose life as Moses was dying. And humanity today, even outside the old covenant, is confronted with this same choice. Choice focuses not on will I obey God or not, but will I trust in Jesus for my standing before God? Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, he who is not with me is against me. We think, well, no, Jesus is for everyone. But Jesus clearly, in his own words, says he who is not for me is actually against me, whether we consciously realize it or not. That's, that's the reality of what's happening. In verse 20 of chapter 30, he says, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. God is committed to fulfilling his promises to both Israel and us. He says, Josh, I have a better life for you if you'll submit to me. I have a better life. In, in, in losing your life, you'll find it. Oh, I, I'd like to find it without losing. Is that possible, Lord? No, no, in losing your life. You'll find it. In giving up your independence, giving up your passions, your desires, your sinful ways, you will find a life that you, that you can't even dream of. And God is committed to that. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, basically everything in you. And God is committed to allowing you to helping us do that. But we have to choose it. We have to want that. We have to desire 
that for ourselves. To love and trust God means to obey his voice. And even if it doesn't make sense or it's difficult, he is Lord, he is our authority, and he is our good father. And, and we really are like the kids, like, uh, I don't see a point in not sticking this knife in the outlet. It looks like it goes there. Oh, well, there's a ball that's across the road. Don't worry about what my mom said, what my dad said. I'm going to run. And, and as parents, we're saying, I would never ask you to do something that would harm you. In fact, the things I ask you to do are for your good. But they have to trust us if they're going to obey us. They have to trust us. Just like we have to trust the Lord that what he says, despite how difficult, despite that it might not even make sense to us, that we walk forward in that faith. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We have the word close to us. We know what God wants. It, it, it means that we regard him as our life and our length of days, as Moses put it, that Christ must be everything to us. He does not call half-hearted followers. It's an extreme calling, but an extreme blessing that comes with that. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. Listen to this. If you're in a place in your life right now where you're like, I don't know what to do. Listen to this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, to the joints of marrow, and, and, uh, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Who here can discern the intentions of the heart? I try to way too often with my children. And thankfully I'm proven wrong. And it's wrong of me to even think that I have the ability to discern the intentions of someone's heart. But God's word does. Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This word keep means, means literally to guard it, that we're not ignoring it. But, but when God speaks something to us, whether it's through his word, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through the truth of a song, whether it's through a, a word from somebody else that God has put on their heart, when you guard that and you keep it, God is speaking. God himself, he's not overlooking the entire land. He's looking at you and saying, Josh, I want to give you something right here. I want to give you and guard it and keep it. Don't just, don't just hear it and then move away from it. But keep it and guard it. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, basically if you make your home in my word, <clears throat> in my message, my truth, my gospel, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears. Literally, th this idea is that you accept and you respond to the words of God. But he says the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Have the worship team come forward. One of my favorite and, and previously most daunting um, passages is when in, in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you obey me. And when we hear that, what is your response to a phrase like that? If we were honest. Mine is like, I could think of a million things this week that I didn't obey him. So I guess I must not love him. He's probably disappointed in me. But what if Jesus meant it like this? What if he's saying, Josh, come here. 
Love me. Be with me. Make your home with me. Abide with me. Just don't freak out over how you're going to obey me, what you're going to do. Be with me. Love me. If you love me, don't worry. The natural response is going to be obedience. And when you're with me, you gain my mind, you gain my heart, you understand how to love me, how to love others, you understand my, my heart of compassion for others. Be with me, and the result is obedience. Not obey me if you want to love me. It's love me and you will. Are we, are we grasping this concept? Because this is the biggest hang-up in Christianity. This is why people outside of the faith look and say, no thanks, a bunch of hypocrites. But if we're honest, we'll say, yeah, we don't obey him. But when we're with him, when I'm with him, he's saying, Josh, here's, here's a chance to love, man. Here's a chance to sacrifice. Here's a chance to give. Here's a chance to be with me, be with my people. And, and you're not going to understand every situation on how to obey and how to love. But I can tell you, walking in sin is not going to be encouraging you to be with me. So be with me. And out of that place, that central place in life, Jesus is saying, I will give you life. The only place you'll find life, the only place you'll bear fruit in your life is in the very presence of God as we gaze upon that vine. We don't look at the fruit trying to bear fruit. We just look at the vine and in awe we sit and rest with Jesus. If you love me, don't worry, Josh, you'll obey. So love me. What a beautiful invitation. Jesus would say, um, if, you, if you are weary and tired, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and tired. My, my burden's easy. My yoke, it's light. I, I rely on the Father. Come to me. How many of us in here today have burdens in our lives? How many of us have weary souls that were just tired? And we try run around thinking, okay, if I obey more, if I try to follow rules more, if I try to do all these things, but don't just come to Jesus in that central place of love and rest, then we never will find the rest that our souls long for. And Jesus is saying, it's only in my presence that you will find the rest that your souls were created to live in. It's only in that place. And when we make our home with God, we understand more of the heart and the mind of Christ. We will discern between good and evil. In fact, Hebrews says you want to know the mark of maturity. It's not how many rules you're keeping. It's not how many scriptures you're memorizing, although both of those things are fine. It's that your ability to discern between good and evil. And when we think of evil the way scripture teaches, it's not just the, the demonic things we imagine in movies. It is the, it is the evil of independence is the evil of selfishness, is the evil of pride. And when we're in the presence of God and we say, Lord, humble me, my heart is proud. Well, that's evil. And God's saying, hey, Josh, spend, spend some more time with me. I'll show you how deep this runs. I'll, I'll take this from you. I'll sanctify you. I'll, I'll continue to set you apart. As, as, as uh, uh, Moses would say that God was circumcising the hearts of the people as we spend time with the Lord, Jesus circumcises our hearts to be set apart and sanctified for his glory. But it requires a life lived in the presence of God. Romans 8, 13 and 14 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That flesh word is sarks. That means independence. If you live according to your independence, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Your life might be wandering in circles. I've been, I've been a pastor for about 15 years, and 13 of those years, I was just running in circles trying to find peace. I was preaching. I was studying. I was doing all the things that I thought I needed to do. Everything but actually just rest in the presence of God. And he says, you want perfect peace, Isaiah 26? It, it's, it's the mind that's fixed on God is the one who gets perfect peace. Luke eleven thirty four 34 says, if, if your eye is simply focused, your whole body is full of light. And so I'll, I'll focus my eyes and I'll say, okay, thank you. And I turn around and I go start walking my independent ways. And, and he's saying, no, no, make your home with me. Come, keep those eyes focused. Keep your mind fixed on me. And you'll find the peace to enter as Israel was entering into unknown territory in the midst of people who wanted a war, a battle against them that would destroy them, that, that they just experienced a, a, a major moral failing with the Moabite women and all these things. And, and God's saying, hey, I'm not taking you out of the chaos, but what I'm doing is giving you a way to find peace in the midst of the chaos. And friends, we live in a chaotic time. Our children will live in a chaotic time. Our parents have lived in a chaotic time. And the only way that we find rest from that is in the presence of God. The only way that we know how to have direction for our lives is in the presence of God. I am beating this because it's so important. It's everything. It's everything. Jesus was the Word. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is near. It's your choice. He won't force you to take hold of it, but he does want you because he loves you. He doesn't just say in John 15, abide with me because I don't really want to be around you anyway. No, no, no. It's God who wants to abide with us too. That he has made his home with us. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my instruction, like we'll, me and the Father, we're going to make our home with you. Wow, what would a life like that? I mean, we read about guys like that in, in, in books, and the old dead guys that we read about, and we say, my goodness, man, what would it have li been like to live? It's not like God gave them a special calling. They just understood their calling was in the presence of Jesus, and in the presence of Jesus, power was found. Redemption was found. Transformation was found. And we sit week after week so often, and I did it myself for so long, and I'm like, God, I want transformation. <clears throat> I just didn't realize that it was in him alone that I would find that. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've come in here burdened. I don't know if you've come in here discouraged in your faith. That maybe it's, it's, maybe you have the thought of, man, I'm tired of church. I got better things to be doing on a Sunday. And I don't mean tired of church just coming here on Sundays. I mean tired of God and his people. Or maybe you're coming in here encouraging the Lord and you're starting to have this fire ignited in you and you're like, okay, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Let me just encourage you with this, no matter where you are, if you're hurting, if you're encouraged, if you are on fire, if that fire, if, if you think back and that fire was lit years ago and you're saying, man, I miss that fire. He's near. He is near every one of us here. And his desire 
is to remove everything that would hinder us from loving him with all of our being, all of ourselves, all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and just remove it all. And then he says, and then what I want you to do is I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to you. God is committed to us to making that happen. So if you want to love your neighbor selflessly, if you want to love like Jesus, who needed nothing from us but only gave, go to Jesus who's near to you. If you want to love God with all your might, and not just when you're singing or not just when you're reading, but in your entire life, go to Jesus. It's the only place that we find that perfect peace. Would you stand with me? This morning, you can choose life and goodness. Or you can choose independence, which leads to death and destruction. But I can tell you one thing, that I know someone who is willing to sacrifice his own son because he wants you to love him. Because he wants you to be with him. Just like Israel, he made a way for them all along their rebellion and continued to show them mercy and mercy and mercy and delivered them into the promised land. And I know that God was willing and desires to make his home with each one of us here today so that he can bring us into eternal promised land. So as we worship, would you just give your hearts and your minds to the Lord? Those things that you've come in here with, it is now that you give them. And God will meet you. I have 100% faith because my God wants to do that. So I know that God will meet you here in this moment. So let's just give us, give our hearts over to the Lord. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.